You want a coffee? Yeah, I would love a coffee. Hello, and welcome back to The Indie, the podcast from the newsroom of the Santa Barbara Independent. I'm Ellen McEnany, the host of The Indie, and this week I walked around the grounds of Fringe Coffee on the Goodland Organics Farm in Goleta. I went there to speak with Jay Rusky, Fringe founder and coffee tech mogul who has transformed the California coffee business, turning the West Coast into a luxury coffee growing empire. With over 80 farms harvesting fringe coffee beans and investing in fringe-founded growing techniques, it's hard to believe that the Ruskies only started fringe in 2017. However, Jay Rusky has been studying the agriculture and farming techniques of coffee growing since 1998, and in 2002, he planted his first trial crop in what is considered not very typical tropical environment. Over the past few months, Fringe has taken their coffee to downtown Santa Barbara, where Jay and his team have been brewing for locals at Golden Line Coffee on select weekends. That's something that Jay emphasized a lot, building that relationship with the local Santa Barbara community and the California coffee growing community at large. I really feel like we're part of the community now. I mean, it's, we're getting more in depth. We now have farmers and my kids are in school. Yeah. All those things start coming together. Yeah. So. And being able to like serve coffee, it's fun because um, all of a sudden your friends can come in and have coffee. They can bring their friends in instead yeah. of always coming to the farm. Yeah. So are you doing like community tastings now? We have a couple things going. We restarted the farm tours, mm-hmm. which I originally started about six years ago to um, help prove the concept of growing coffee in mm-hmm. California. I got a lot of people um, very curious, not believing it to a certain degree, and so showing them the farm was my intent. But what I did do is open up a bunch of opportunities of people um, that I should meet and building relationships. And so that was great. And now it's evolving into trying to promote a deeper experience about coffee because there's a lot to tell. I think from forming friends, we're trying to tell about taking care of the farmer, how darn complicated it is to make a good cup of coffee, all Mm -hmm. that, and then to be able to share how to brew it and make it. So I think that's pretty important. Sorry, it's noisy here in the barn. We do other things like pack fruit and make coffee and sort coffee. So it's a busy busy spot most of the morning. As I sat there watching Jay begin to brew a geisha blend of coffee, I remember the last time I was sitting in the Fringe Warehouse doing a personal tasting with Jay for another article I wrote about a year ago. I remembered drinking the same blend of coffee and having a nice conversation in a more personal way, which is the environment that Fringe wishes to create around coffee culture. A personalized experience tailored for both the consumer and the farmer. But as someone who loves coffee as much as I do, I really was interested to see just what he thought the correct way to brew coffee was. This time, it started out with a clay coffee filter. So it's not just the coffee, but the way you brew it. Now, what's the right temperature, the right... What's your favorite way of doing it? Well, we've been working on brewing techniques and trying to communicate that. So hopefully in the next couple of weeks on the website of FringeCoffee.com, you're going to start seeing videos of me being the farmer perspective on how to brew a good cup of coffee. Mm-hmm. So it's really easy to nerd out on coffee, and I'm mm-hmm. trying to find the 
the happy medium of introducing the, the best tool for what you want for how many people you're serving. And so, um, so there's four different techniques. I like to do, you know, we're going to do a hand pour. I'm usually use the Clea flat wave, and then this is a, like a modified unique filter. It's ceramic, so it, that doesn't have paper. So the goal, you know, is to find the right technique for you. We generally start with a 15 to one ratio, whether it be this or AeroPress or Auto Drip, and then. Um, the right temperature, you always want to be around 205, 209 degree water. You don't want to bring boil, you want like what I call off boil. So boil it, then put a little cold water in and that's the perfect brew temperature. You certainly don't want to brew under 205 just because you won't get all the right sugars. So that's one, that's one of two real critical components. Uh, making sure your grind size is great. You kind of want it to like a, a nice Himalayan table salt so that's kind of neat. So it's so it pours through. It holds a little water, but releases. But you don't want to clog your filter with too fine. Mm -hmm. you know? So so I'm about to pre-wet. So once I put it in the filter housing, I pre-wet because the grounds um, they've been roasted at near 400 degrees, so they're kind of like a um, a scorched earth after fire. You know, mm -hmm. like and then the rain comes and it's hydrophobic. I think unfortunately Santa Barbara knows about that. So um, it's the same thing. So we pre-wet and let the water um, infiltrate each coffee ground. So the slurry is wet and wait about 10, 15 seconds. And then you can start your brew and it's ready to extract. Otherwise you get a good 10, 15 seconds of the water not going in the grounds and sneaking down the side and not passing the coffee. Mm -hmm. I reset my scale. I always use a scale unless there's a carafe that has numbers on the side. And that's to help you tell exactly how much water to put in for each. Yeah, correct. So I'm doing 22 grams of coffee, and then we're going to pour, including pre-wet, 300 grams of water. And this is what we're doing now. Golden Line Coffee is this pour here. It'll make about 300 milliliters. You really nail it. Like the challenge is to like pour it and to keep the pour exactly the same and the water levels the same, mm -hmm. and do it in two minutes and fifty seconds or so, mm -hmm. and then then nailed it. Mm -hmm. like, and, but that's kind of like a game I play with myself. Like yeah. How, all right. And I, it's a it's a standard I set. You know. And then next time, like next time I'll brew this, I'll probably go a little bit higher up on the grind. Yeah. And um, that's interesting. You say standard. So when I I'm here now, when I came here a year ago, it's a very intentional pour, is what I like to say. Almost like you're crafting a cocktail, except it's coffee. So I guess with Fringe, what is that standard that you would like to elevate drinking coffee to? So I have a, and my team being Q graders, which are certified cuppers, have very high standards. But what we're trying to do right now is create um, a way in which people can um, start with and not be um, analysis paralysis. Like I don't want I want people to be not afraid to brew and, and celebrate the the brew. And so the, the what we're trying to educate on is this happy medium. And so I would say, yeah, let's start with the grind. Let's start with the brew. Let's start with uh, the right water and get kind of the system established. I think what is should be celebrated in coffee 
which is slightly different than wine, is that you have all these sophisticated brew techniques now. I mean, you have, we can do this, we can do AeroPress, we can change all the filters, we can have different filters, mm -hmm. we can have a whole bunch of different. And so there's a lot of fun ways to explore. And me and some of the customers um, at Golden Line, there are actually some people that actually this week, knowing that we're there, have come from their home and saying, well, I don't like to go drink coffee because they ne no one knows how to make a good cup. Mm -hmm. I usually make it myself and buy direct, but I came to you because I wanted to experience it. And that was kind of fun to see these people, real coffee fanatics, come and like step out yeah. and say, I, I was so excited to participate and hear about Fringe. I have a lot of people also say, hey, ever since I had your coffee, I can't drink these coffees anymore. Yeah. Like So I, I was like, good, I've, I've changed them a little bit. And I've, mm -hmm. I've, that's one way I wanted to change. Mm -hmm. I want also to think about, oh, should I spend a little more? Why am I spending a little more for coffee? Mm -hmm. But now they go see how we individually harvest each cherry. We have to ferment. We have to sort and dry and move the coffees three times a day and mm -hmm. all that. You're like, okay, I know why we're paying for coffee. And that's why half the value goes back to the farmer here and trying to, there needs to be a reasonable return yeah. to the farmer and the processors for that, this investment. And now finally brewed, it came to tasting. And tell me about this specific brew that you are pouring, the idea behind the geisha. So this is like globally, it's been the coffee that has a flavor that's so unique from the traditional coffees. It's a lot more tea-like, mm. strong on the florals, some lemony finish, but it's, it's not like a traditional coffee. So that's one of the main coffees we do grow. It's one of the more difficult coffees to grow. It's not quite as productive. It doesn't yield as much. And so um, we try to do several varieties of coffee, like the Katura, Catois, Bourbons, Lorena. Um, ultimately, we want to have several coffees for our farmers that we can either serve alone, like you would a Pinot or a Cab, mm -hmm. or we can blend them to make a really good coffee experience. So having the variety is kind of fun. And that's one thing with the Golden Lion is we can come every week we we'll always have a geisha, but I'll probably do a Catur, Catoir, Bourbon on rotation. Occasionally I'll throw in a little like mystery or something that I've been working on. Yeah. So it's kind of a great way to kind of explore new coffee. So what's your technique for that? Is it more of you come up with an idea and you're going to go test it or do a full trial crop or do a full, what's the idea for creating these flavor profiles? Well, uh, flavors are generally driven through the varieties of coffee. So the, like the geisha and the cafeteria will have their foundation flavor. And then what's following after that is post-harvest. Mm -hmm. So we have like a wet fermentation or a dry fermentation. Those are really important techniques. You'll get a little subtlety on the, um, on the seasonality and flavors, but trying to control and make consistent coffees from year to year are pretty important. There you go. Cheers. Cheers. I mean, you can immediately smell it. Mm -hmm. You like to create coffee that you can drink without additives, like sweetener. Yeah, milk. we don't add anything to our coffees, or at least a really nice coffee. You don't ascribe <clears throat> to that, yeah. Put a lot of work into these coffees, mm -hmm. and when they're really, really good, and you're like, we made it, you know, we have all these crazy flavors. To add milk is, we'll go backwards. Our path is we want to take, taste the essence of the coffee, of the process, and celebrate the hard work that the farmer put into it. And after the last few sips of my coffee, 
Jay and I took to the field to learn more about that process. Going back to the farmers, now that you have 80 farms or so, how has this been a more sustainable system for not only coffee crops, but other crops that they want to grow? Well, from the model perspective, first is that you're taking the most like complicated supply chain food or beverage we have almost every day mm-hmm. and decentralized it, go direct. So that's pretty amazing. Um, so we'd like to highlight that. I'd like to highlight the fact that the farmer is taking the most risk five years to plant make a crop mm-hmm. risk and changes in climate changes the market they have no control in so how do we get our farmers to get a better return is you know go for quality value added like the wine industry did um, in terms of like diversity and a lot of our farmers grow avocados too that's been a pretty steady crop so they do coffee and avocados so they have multiple crops so one market's better than the other they have diversity and resiliency in their revenues and then finally we have found that adding other crops and doing some of the layered systems where we have canopy crops mid-range crops and lower coffee crops um, during wind events or these heat events that occasionally come by they protect each other or to some degree sometimes you sacrifice one for the other but you still have a crop so especially the last couple of years with We've seen San Ventura be a lot more windier for longer periods of time in different times of the year. Instead of just the sundowners in the fall, we can get sundowners in spring and summer. So mm-hmm. we just need to always prepare for more wind. So we try to help our farmers with site plans to adjust and predict the winds. And then sometimes you have to go back and say, you know, we need to make some changes. Let's add more wind breaks. And I'd probably do this with any crop, not just coffee, I think. We just need to make a more resilient farm yeah. plan. So you said something a minute ago about quality. And considering that coffee crop dominates a lot of the economies in different countries around the world, in South America and, and things like that, do you think that elevating the sustainability, the resiliency, and increasing the amount of money spent on just like a single you know, batch of coffee is a barrier to the global system? Or do you think that it's going to, like you said, elevate the global quality of coffee like the wine industry did? It's a huge system. And there's lots of commodity-grown crops Mm -hmm. um, that are, there's a a portion of farmers that are large and efficient. Mm -hmm. And they fit within the commodity system where there's futures trading mm-hmm. and quality is you can't they measure quality by container load not single bag a large portion of farmers have been around for generations who are smaller and mid-size mm-hmm. and now they have to compete against the big guys mm-hmm. and by having and helping them convert to specialty crop and specialty mm-hmm. coffee Mm-hmm. You know, they can get a better return for themselves and yeah. invest in their farms. And so that's kind of the goal, but how do you get them the tools mm-hmm. to do that? And if they're getting 5% or less of the total return, they'll be stuck. And so what we're trying to do is say, well, if the producer gets more money, they can invest in better plant material. If they can afford to change, mm-hmm. they can invest instead of harvesting all the cherries at once, just getting the reddest and ripest ones, which mm-hmm. 
will take them from like a a point coffee to an a five point coffee mm -hmm. for example and they'll get twice as much or multiple times more return just by being rewarded by doing the right thing and you have a really interesting system of of going in and not just explaining you know what to do but you know giving people the plants helping them you know they're growing fringe coffee they are so that's kind of another cool technique is that they're all localized through this one company and they don't feel alone which yeah. is i think part of the growth that you've experienced in California. Staring on cherry. Oh yeah. That's the guy in the they look like them. mini pumpkins. Yep. So why don't you try that one right there? Do I twist? Yeah, it just yanks right off. Oh. And then you'll see bright red, but okay. you'll um, there's a cherry pit in there you don't eat. They're tart. Sweet. They're sweet Sour, but yeah. Savory spicy mm. i planted these because i figured the people who are enjoying a nice coffee mm -hmm. would enjoy the um taste sensations of the serenum cherry yeah tell me a, a bit about the goodland organic farm and how you created this layered system what was the thought process behind all that so goodland organics was Originally, it's Condor Ridge Ranch, and then I did Goodland Organics and became certified organic. Mm -hmm. um, and I originally had mainly cherimoys and avocados, and some a few other minor crops. Over the years, as I was doing farmers markets, the intent was to try to have a cropping system year-round, so that I always had fruit at the stand, and I had plenty of work and revenues to support my labor team. Right. Mm -hmm because the seasonality thing was getting more difficult um, than it had been 30 years ago. So I started planting major crops so that chermoy is in the winter, avocados in the summer for harvest, then caviar limes in the fall going in the mm -hmm. winter. So that's like the intent of Goodland Organics. Yeah. Uh, the coffee came along as I was doing research with the University of California Small Farm Extension Service on trying to find new crops that were adaptable for us. And so we started experimenting with lychees and longans, but the coffees were given to me uh, about 22 years ago. Mm -hmm. And at that time, there wasn't really a market, but I just planted them because with the avocados and the same irrigation fertilizer program. And <clears throat> slowly got the crop, the crops established and then had to overcome all the challenges of learning post-harvest and acquiring equipment from around the world. Mm -hmm. And that took literally like 10 to 12 years. Mm -hmm. I actually, um, in 2015-16, that was the last major drought, at least for Santa Barbara, because Lake Achuma was getting near 10%. Mm -hmm. And so um, anticipating and being threatened that any month now we may be out of water. Mm -hmm. I started narrowing down and densifying my production so that I was layering systems in. Mm -hmm. So uh, like you see this passion fruit growing up, the avocados, I took my old avocados, I put passion fruit on them. Mm -hmm. So I had two, two crops, increased my cash flow, realizing like I had to prune my trees layer. Mm -hmm. And then I put the avocado coffee under the avocados. And all of a sudden I'm growing three crops and in 10 cubic meter spaces. Like you can see right here, the avocados are dripping down on the coffee, and here's dragon fruit. So, pulled out some of the older cherimoyas and all the things that weren't productive or gave me a chance. If you're not productive, mm -hmm. we're not using it. So that's what's 
kept this going. And then I had an interest in the coffee market still. So um, that market was still going and farmers came to me and said, hey, I'm selling your coffee. Can you look at my farm? I said, sure. And I started a small nursery. I started growing coffee plants. Mm -hmm. And then by 2017, we had 18 farms planted, even through the drought, we were selling coffee plants because mm -hmm. every region has kind of their own water supplies. We finally got the rainstorm in March in 2017. And then I had these farmers. I had, um, we just sequenced the genome with Dr. Juan Madrano from UC Davis. So for mm -hmm. breeding, I realized I had uh, very good conditions and cultivars for doing breeding programs. So I formed French Coffee. Today, I have a really good team, especially on the plant science side. A woman named Dr. Martha Medevinko, who's a molecular biologist who helps with our breeding, but she also is a fanatic fruit explorer. And so she knows all these fruit plants. And so we get these crazy looking plants that we get to test. As we looped around the older plantings of almost 20 years old, I learned about Goodland Organics fast breeding stock, which are used to make new varieties and hybrids. Currently, the Goodland Organics land houses a genetic coffee farm where different varieties are kept and carefully watched over. So this is a newly planted coffee block. Mm -hmm. um, it used to be where the cherimoyas, um, or majority of my cherimoyas, um, were being produced, but 2016 we removed them. Uh, but today stands a fine collection of coffees. Mm -hmm. And um, so, Coffee is kind of unique in the fact that it doesn't preserve very well by seed. And so most of the world's coffee is through live collections as a genetic preservation. And this is one of those, but it also includes some of hybrids that Fringe has been breeding for the last three to four years. And then we have some research agreements with other larger institutions and brought their hybrids here. So we're basically evaluating a new generation of nice coffees on this block and so we have our researchers have labeled every single tree mm -hmm. and so this is a big science project here and that's interesting an amazing collection of coffees and some of the world has never seen so when you say that this is kind of like a gene pool basically of different coffees like a gene bank a gene bank basically yeah so when when you want to take some do you just you know how how do you harvest from each gene bank and you know where would you go what is the the, the beneficial aspect of having this well there are three things that will come from it mm -hmm. first we evaluate plant populations to see if it's going to be a good enough coffee that we find the customers will enjoy and the farmers can grow and then if we like that, we can um, collect the, the plant material from them. So either through seed, but more likely through cuttings. Mm -hmm. So that's the second answer is if we want to regenerate or replicate, we have a tissue program. So you can take cuttings and we have some greenhouse and lab space up in near the Davis area where we can take cuttings, root them and back up the genetics mm -hmm. there just in case something goes wrong here. And then we can also build out production stock from that. Um, we can also give them the right conditions, use them as parent material, and cross-pollinate with existing stock to add more genetic diversity into the existing coffee lines, mm -hmm. which is really needed. So 
it gives us a, a bank where of pollen to go pollinate other plants and then track that and that's how new varieties of coffee are made. Mm -hmm. So that's why it's kind of a bank and that's how you withdraw mm -hmm. genes from the bank. There's not just one, there's multiple innovations and technologies in the pipeline to help what we're doing here and help our farmers. So we tried to pick and choose the ones that make the biggest impact the quickest. It's almost like a, a buffet, I guess, of tools that you would offer. Yes, it's, it's definitely a menu of tools <laughs> yes. that you, you offer for them based on what the farmer wants, mm -hmm. and what they're capable of doing. Mm -hmm. That too. After a tough couple of years during the pandemic and considering Fringe is still an early stage company, maintaining a support system for their farmers throughout California is something Jay is thankful for every day. He described it as truly a family affair, keeping up the farm. Although Jay still misses selling at the farmer's market and being active in the local ag community, he's hopeful that the coming months will allow him to keep brewing at Golden Line and continue deepening people's experience with French coffee. All right, well, thank you so much, Jay, for chatting with me and taking me around the farm today. It was lots of fun. Molly, it's always a pleasure to show you and um, show your audience what we're doing here in the Santa Barbara Foothills. Once again, I'm Molly McNanny, host of The Indie. Tune in next week for another episode.